Hi, this is Dan. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I trust that it'll encourage you and build your faith. If you'd like to connect with me further, visit my website at revivalnow.com. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at RevivalNowDanSteep and Twitter at RevivalNowDan. You can also download the Revival Now app. Enjoy the podcast and share it with a friend. Hey, welcome to the Dan Steep Podcast. I'm Dan Steep, so let's get into it. We are uh, going to be talking about three things that block increase in your life. I believe that um, it is within God's economy for His people to increase, because the bottom line is the more that His people increase, really the more the world increases, because uh, we're called to be a river, not a reservoir or a lake or a pond. We're, we're rivers. As His increase and blessing comes into our lives, it goes through us. As God spoke to Abraham, He said, you're, you're blessed to be a blessing, that through Him He was going to bless the peoples of the earth. But there are uh, three things that I want to uh, talk about that, that really can block increase in your life. So you know, part of stewarding the increase that God brings into our lives is understanding that the enemy will try to tempt you uh, into things that will block God's increase in your life. He can't stop God, but he will try to entice you or appeal to your flesh that you would give in and follow that path and cause God's hand of blessing and increase to be lifted from your life. And what I'm talking to you about is, it's as old as the Garden of Eden. It's taking a page out of the serpent's playbook in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were blessed completely and totally. And there's nothing that Satan can do in a, a, a head-on conflict with God. He doesn't have the power. But what he can do is try to entice you like he enticed Eve, appeal to your flesh, and cause you to give in to temptation that would, in effect, cause God's hand to be lifted from you. So three things that block increase in your life. Uh, I, first one is this, don't trust in wealth. Don't trust in wealth. Proverbs 11.28 says, Trust in your money, and down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves in spring. Trust in your money, and down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves in spring. Don't trust in your wealth. I want to read to you from a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 30. It's the story of the rich man, or as some of our Bibles, the heading will say, the rich young ruler. Matthew chapter 
19, verses 16 through 30. Someone came to Jesus with this question, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man said. What else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Then Peter said to him, We've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Or what will we get? And Jesus replied, I assure to you that when the world is made new, the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne. You who have been my followers will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem, import, who seem least important now will be the greatest then. This is a great uh, teaching as Jesus is really working with his disciples to, to form them into Christ thinkers, Christ followers, and doers of his word. And, and Jesus lays out this, this teaching in this story, and the disciples responded, in verse 25, in an astounded manner. I'm reading from the New Living Translation at the moment, and it says that the disciples in verse 25 were astounded, saying, then who in the world can be saved? They're astounded, and Jesus looks at them and says, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. What is he really saying to them? It's only possible with God. It's only possible in God and through God and God powerfully moving and working in us and through us and on our behalf. Only with God. The, the disciples are saying, who in the world can be saved? And Jesus is just laying it out very plainly. <laughs> Basically, nobody who puts their trust in anything other than God will be able to be saved. And so Peter says, 
you know, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? And that's really what Jesus is talking about in this story with the young ruler. Jesus knew that this man's possessions possessed him. This rich young man was possessed by his possessions. And not only was he possessed by his possessions, this is a young man whose confidence was in his ability. His ability. Nobody comes to Jesus and asks questions like this who doesn't already think that they're doing great. I think he asked these questions thinking that he was going to impress Jesus. He was really asking these, 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 these questions in order to brag, because he was going to be able to say, because Jesus said to him, um, keep the commandments. The man asked which ones. Jesus lists off a, a list of commandments, about half of them. Uh, and, and then what does he say in verse 20? I've obeyed all these commandments. What else must I do? Basically, okay, been there, done that. Got it? The list is checked. I passed the test. What else do you have? Throw something else at me. So Jesus, he knew that this man's confidence was in his own ability. He knew that this man's possessions possessed him. And right, he, he comes at him and just lays it out. Okay, <laughs> sell all you have, give the money to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5 says, uh, this is what the Lord says, Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength, and turn their hearts away from the Lord. What is he saying? When you put your trust in man, when you rely on human strength, what are we talking about? Your own ability. When you do that, you turn your heart away from the Lord. Basically, curse comes upon anyone who puts their trust in anything other than the Lord. In man, in riches, in business, in your business connections, your, your networking, right? You put your trust in anything, the economy, in the government. When you do that, God's hand of blessing is lifted from your life and curse easily and quickly follows. Put your trust in God and God alone. Why did Jesus say it was hard for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven? That's what he said in this story in Matthew 19. He said, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why did he say that? Because people like this rich young ruler, generally speaking, they don't realize they need to be saved. It's a general statement. It won't fit everyone, but generally speaking, people like this guy don't realize they need to be saved. Why do I say that? Because they have nice things. Their life generally speaking, 
is easier than people who don't have the material wealth that they have. And um, so their life is smoother and they, they tend to um, be the Lord of their own lives. They decide, they set the agenda based upon their wants, preferences, desires, their values, all of those things. And they don't realize they need to be saved. They think, just generally speaking, people in that place, they think, well, I, uh, I treat people well. I'm a good person. Um, maybe I, I give to, to worthwhile causes. And, and so, you know, I'm all right. I'm good. I'm like the rich young ruler. I, I think that I've got it figured out. People like this guy generally don't realize that they need to be saved. D.L. Moody once said, before you can get them saved, you have to get them lost. What he's saying is that you have to show people their need of a Savior. And when Jesus said what he said in verse 23 here of Matthew 19, when he said, uh, it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When he said that, it does, he wasn't saying that God doesn't want that person. He wasn't saying that God doesn't love rich people. The scripture makes it clear that God sent his son for everyone. So this wasn't a statement. Jesus wasn't making a statement to say that, that God doesn't want rich people. What he was saying is, it's hard for them. It's harder for people, uh, uh, rich people, to humble themselves, to recognize their need of a Savior. But he, he wasn't saying that God doesn't want them. In uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, uh, in, in what's called the Beatitudes, in, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus delivered in, in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, uh, he said, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus was basically saying when you get down to it is, Blessed are those who recognize their need of a Savior. To be poor in spirit or to have a poverty of spirit is an internal recognition that I'm broken and I can't save myself. I can't lift myself out of this place where I'm at. And Jesus is saying that person is blessed because they're closer to the kingdom than they realize. At that moment, when a person recognizes their need of a Savior, they're closer to God and closer to their miracle and their breakthrough than the person who, who yet does not recognize their need of a Savior. The bottom line of Matthew 5.3 is this. Everyone in the world is poor in spirit, but only a small amount recognize their poverty of spirit. And that means only a small amount are in a position to be saved and have their lives changed. 
And that's biblical, even in that sense, because Jesus said, wide is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life, and there are few that find it. Well, we're talking about three things that block increase in your life. And, and we're speaking primarily, so, so far up to this point, from Matthew 19, verses 16 through 30. Because our first thing that, that we listed that blocks increase in your life is this. Don't trust in your wealth. If you trust in your wealth, it will block increase in your life. So as we continue in that, we'll look into 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold of eternal life. Again, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. Don't trust in money. He says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches. And what happens when you're able to do that? As you follow along in this scripture, uh, you, so don't trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives richly, gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. What is that? That is being a river. And what happens? When I say being a river, that means I understand that I'm blessed to be a blessing. And as God's blessing comes into me and out from me, the cycle continues, and he, he, he blesses me with more. He pours out more toward me. Are you able to maintain what I like to call river status? And a continual pouring in and outpouring from you. Verse 19 gives us the result of maintaining river status in our lives, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. There's nothing like being a blessing to others. Nothing in the world. It was the Apostle Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 who said, who said this, quoting Jesus, he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, anybody can receive, but not everybody has the ability to give for a couple of reasons. One, not everyone has the resources to give, and then there are those who have the resources, but they're stingy, and they're still not able to give. And my question to you is, why would God bless you to a level where he knows that your heart will depart from him. This is why we have to settle these issues with God and before God. The time to settle issues is always before they need to be settled. What am I saying? 
The time to settle an issue is before you're tempted. You don't wait until the time of temptation to settle the issue. If the issue's not settled within you, by the time the temptation comes, you're going to cave. You're going to fail. And it's the same with money and, and riches and wealth and material possessions. The time to settle the issue on whether or not you're going to be a tither is to settle that issue while you have little to nothing. If you'll tithe when you have little, you'll tithe when you have much. You don't wait until the time to be generous comes to decide whether or not you're going to be a generous person. Why would God bless you to a level where he knows your heart will depart from you? I want you to just say this to yourself for yourself right now. Say, I will always need God. Just a faith declaration. I want you to say that as you listen to this. Just say it of yourself, for yourself right now. Just say, I will always need God. Trusting in wealth, which is the first thing that blocks increase in your life, Trusting in wealth would exterminate my diligence in seeking God. Because once I, I had that wealth and I put my trust in it, that would turn me away toward the love of money rather than the love of God. And God is watching to see how you'll respond when everything's going great. It's easy to rely on God when things aren't going well, but God's watching to see how you'll respond when everything's going great. Spiritual cruise control is actually wicked. Getting into a maintaining status, just getting on cruise control. Spiritual cruise control is wicked. In Matthew 25, verse 26, Jesus, this was the parable of the talents where... where, where, uh, you know, five talents was given to one and two to another and one to another, and they each, you know, the first two did really good, and they were faithful stewards of what they were given, and they doubled it, and they gave it back to the master. But that third one, who was only given one talent, he, he dug a hole and, and put it in the ground, and when the master came to receive, um, you know, his interest and so forth from it, the, the servant, he went and dug it out of the ground and gave him back what he gave him with he had done nothing he had he had demonstrated no faithfulness no stewardship with what was entrusted to him and that man Jesus called a wicked and lazy servant a wicked and lazy servant why because all he did was maintain what god gave him he was on cruise control and Jesus called it wicked. God's plan for your life is to increase you, increase through you, and do great things through your life. Three things that block increase in your life. Number one, don't trust in your wealth. Number two, don't love money. Don't love money. Many people know the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And people ignorantly and unknowingly say um, money is the root of all evil, but it's not. 
money is amoral. Money can be used for wonderful things or wicked things. The problem is the love of money. That's what will get you into trouble. Let me ask it to you this way. If the Lord told you to give something precious away, could you do it? It's a good question. And, and precious is in the eye of the beholder. There are many things uh, that I would give away that are of equal or greater value than, say, my wife's wedding band. But I, that would be a tough one for me. I don't know that I love it, but it means something to me. And I think that there would be other things that I own of equal or even greater value that would not be as difficult for me. But that, that's the question. If the Lord, but if the Lord told you to give something precious away, could you do it? Would you do it? Something precious, something that, that's a sacrifice, like the woman who anointed Jesus with this precious, costly perfume. Another way of asking the question is, what wouldn't you give to the Lord or for the Lord? Because what I mean by that is you could be giving it to Him, but typically when you're giving to the Lord, you're giving to a person. We're blessed to be a blessing, and God doesn't need our blessings, so we're not giving to bless Him. We're blessing others. And through the act, actually ourselves being blessed and increasing. Is there anything in your house, including your house, that you wouldn't give if the Lord told you to? It's a good question. It's a tough question, but it's the kind of question that gets right down to the issue of uh, whether or not you love money and whether or not you truly trust God. I remember hearing uh, Dr. Rodney Howard Brown uh, sharing one time in one of his meetings. Uh, he, he told about an encounter that he had with God, and the Lord said to him, when everything means nothing to you, I'll give you everything. When everything means nothing to you, I will give you everything. Why? Well, I, I wasn't there, and I'm not God, but my take on it is that, is that at that point, when everything means nothing to you, that means nothing will be able to hold you in bondage to money. And at that point, once everything means nothing to you, God can trust you with everything. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, again, the Apostle Paul speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy, said, he said, be diligent to come to me quickly. Well, I guess I have to continue reading. Uh, so I'll start in uh, verse 9 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. So what happened to Demas? Well, he fell in love with the world. He, Demas fell in love with the world. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, 
and he's departed for Thessalonica. If you fall in love with the world, there is a very real danger of desertion. Demas fell in love with the world, and he deserted the Apostle Paul. And as we jump back to Matthew chapter 19, we were looking at that scripture early in the episode. Uh, in verse 29, it ends saying, And everyone who has given us, who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. I want to take just a moment and uh, go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. In Mark, chapter 10, this is Mark's uh, version of this same story. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 29 and 30, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children's and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. That's powerful. Why did Jesus say that? He sent it because he knows what it means. He actually, of all people, understands the cost. There can be nothing that I love before God or in front of God. If there was anything that Jesus loved before God, he wouldn't have left heaven and come to earth. He wouldn't have endured the 40 days uh, of um, fasting in the wilderness and then the temptation that came from the enemy. He certainly wouldn't have endured the, the cross and the crucifixion. That's why Jesus is saying it. Because he knows what it means. He knows what the cost is of following him. But he also understands the blessing. He, he knows the other side of the equation. He not only understands the cost, he understands the blessing as well. A blessing that you cannot see on the front end of that equation. He understands the reward. He understands the blessing attached to it. There can be nothing that I love before or in front of God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Here's the money verse, verse 10. 1 Timothy 6, 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. There's that same principle again. What's the principle? If you fall in love with this world, 
there is a danger of desertion. Just like Demas, and, and right here in 2 Timothy 6, 9-10, some people craving money have wandered from the true faith. They've deserted and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now, I read this from the New Living Translation. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I, I like the King James better in this one because it leaves no wiggle room. The love of the money, love of money, is not the root of all kinds of evil. It's the root of evil. All evil. The love of money. And I see that truth played out over and over and over again in these last days that we're living in as we see wicked, evil people with wicked and evil antichrist plans and designs for this world in these last days motivated by what? The love of money. Create a problem. So here's what they do. They create a solution. And they've got that all done and um, patented and everything else. Now what do they do? They create a problem so that you'll need their solution. Why? Because the love of money is the root of all evil. When you're desperate for anything other than God, it will lead you to destruction. And desperation is a powerful, powerful force. Desperation will cause a person to do almost anything. But when you're desperate for God, I mean, if you're desperate for anything other than God and it's going to lead you to destruction, what will a true desperation, a desperate pursuit of God create in your life? Wow. Increase upon increase in every way and capacity. We're talking about three things that block increase in your life. Number one, don't trust in your wealth. Number two, don't trust in your money. And lastly, number three, don't be discontent. Don't be discontent. First Timothy, we've, we've spent a lot of time in Timothy uh, so far in this study. First Timothy chapter 6, we've been there previously, but we're going to start in uh, verse 2. Reading uh, to about verse 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 2. And those who have, who have believing masters, let them not despise them. Sorry about that. Let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he's proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words which come, uh, from which come strife, envy, re reveling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men uh, of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, 
who suppose that godliness is a means of gain, from such withdraw yourself, right? So from such people withdraw yourself. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So let me just stop there. I'm not even going to read past that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I'm personally content. And when I say that, I mean I'm at peace with where I'm at. I don't need a nicer car or a nicer home or nicer clothes. I, I'm, I'm content. I'm, I, I've got no problem with it. But in terms of what I want to do for God, in terms of how I want to passionately pursue what he's called me to do, specifically, that is to reach one million souls with the gospel of Jesus Christ within the next eight years. So that was a 10-year goal. I'm over two years into that journey right now. When it comes to what I want to do for God, I'm not content at all. I mean, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for nearly 150,000 souls coming into the kingdom of God already. I'm thankful for the trajectory that we're on, because even though uh, by the math we're behind schedule, because of the trajectory that we're on, we're actually ahead of schedule. I mean, if we continue to grow upon growing each year, I mean, we went from like 289 souls in 2020 to over 23,000 in 2021 to over 93,000 in 2022. Like that kind of growth, the trajectory that we're on is a trajectory that's going to far surpass a million souls. And I'm grateful and I'm thankful for that, but I'm not content. I want to reach as many people with the gospel of Jesus Christ as I possibly can. I mean, the devil is clearly at work in these last days in the earth. So I'm determined to not only match that, but exceed it as far as what I can do. So I'm thankful, but I get restless. I get restless if um, I don't have the opportunity to minister to people and to share the gospel. And I have to actually force myself to slow down and lean into him because not only can money not be something that I put before God, but even goals and agendas. It is him and him alone. Don't be discontent. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So there you have it again. Just like in Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30, Jesus talks about, you know, the one who gives away everything for his sake is going to receive like a hundredfold that now in this time as well as in the age to come. And Paul is saying to Timothy, listen, godliness is profitable for all 
things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Back to Mark chapter 10. What did Jesus say? The person who's left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the Gospels is going to receive a hundredfold now in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Is my desire, here's the question for you, is my desire to be rich or to please God? Because I want you to understand something. You don't have to love riches to be wealthy. God has blessed and anointed people, specific people, to gain wealth and to use that to bless others and to fund the kingdom of God, to fund the Great Commission. Blessing follows obedience. So don't trust in your wealth, don't love money, and don't be discontent. Blessing follows obedience. It was the Apostle Paul who called uh, giving seed sowing, or the sowing of seeds, in 2 Corinthians 9. He also said in Galatians 6, 7, whatsoever a man sows, that will he reap. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he reap. If you sow love, you'll reap love. If you sow friendship, you uh, receive friendship. If you sow impartation, you receive uh, impartation. If you sow money, you reap money. So my question in closing this episode, as I always do, is this. Have you sown your faith unto salvation? Have you sown a seed of faith from your life unto salvation? You see, God is holy by nature. It's his character. It's unchangeable, which, by the way, is also part of his character and nature. He's unchangeable. But we're not holy. We're sinful. We're, it's a condition that we were born into. Nobody had to tell you or teach you to be selfish. It was already there. But God took the initiative to remedy our condition. He sent his only son, Jesus, who died on a cross to bridge the gap between the holiness of God and the unholiness of man. And all you have to do to sow your seed of faith unto salvation is this. Recognize, repent, and receive. Recognize your sin. When I recognize my sin's killing me, and it's also killing those around me, and that the only way to peace is through faith in Jesus Christ, now I'm ready to do the second one, which is repent. Repent of your sin. Jesus said, and you'll perish too, unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. Repent means to change. Change your mind, change your direction, change your lifestyle. It means to turn from a life of sin and turn to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and then receive, which simply means to commit your heart to him by faith. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I want to offer a simple prayer of salvation. And if, if you've not received Jesus Christ as your Savior, and if you'll repeat this prayer from a place of sincerity in your heart, you can know from this very day that your sins are forgiven 
that you're born again or saved and that you're on your way to heaven. Would you pray that prayer with me? Let's pray right now. Say, Heavenly Father, I admit that I've sinned. I believe Jesus died for my sins. And he rose from the grave to give me victory over sin and death. I confess my sinfulness. I repent. Please forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and make me a new person in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I have a great scripture for you. Romans 10, 13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And when you pray that prayer, you call on the name of the Lord. So by the authority of God's word, you are saved. You're born again. And if you prayed that prayer with me, do me a favor, please go to my website at revivalnow.com. Revivalnow.com. When you go to revivalnow.com, you'll find a big red button on the front page that says, I just got saved. Please click that button, and it'll take you to a place where you can view some video resources that I prepared for you to help you get started in your Christian life. There's also a place for you to fill out your contact information. And if you'll fill out your contact information, we're going to send some resources to you to help you get started in your Christian life. So go to revivalnow.com, click I just got saved, and follow the prompts from there. Thanks so much for taking this journey with me on this episode of the Dan Steep Podcast. Make sure you uh, tune back in for more episodes as we're continually uh, putting out more teachings from God's Word. So until next time, stay blessed in Jesus' name.